0: hi thank you so much for having me
1: thank you for being a part of it i appreciate um the connection as they say
0: (laughs) (laughs) me too i i'm really excited to to chat with you and i love what you're doing so oh (laughs)
1: thank you you know what that's that's why i do it obviously sometimes you definitely want to make money from your passion but hearing that um touches me, touches my heart and makes me feel blessed in so many ways that sometimes I can't even describe it. So thank you very much for that.
0: Oh, well, (laughs) I'm glad I can help.
1: (laughs) Yes, yes. And you know what, Um, from what I know about your journey and what you've been through and how far you've come, um, I'm very appreciative that you're going to share that with myself and, and my audience. So for that, thank you again.
0: Oh, of course, I'm happy to share. Which is usually like a weird thing you don't normally hear that from people who have endured abuse, but I think the more we speak about it, um, the the better people who are still feel who still feel silenced will feel more empowered to speak on. Yes,
1: that. yes, um, and that's true because uh, I've interviewed a few people, and you're recording your this interview is going to be part of that general theme. I didn't. I always had an appreciation for those, for the men and women that were able to step up and say, this has happened to me. I'm gonna own it. I wanna make the world a better place. Like I'm making myself better. But, um, because I I love numbers and I love stats. When I read about it, you know it's happening, right? But when you look at the numbers, you don't realize how frequently it's happening, especially within the household, like someone that you actually know.
0: Right. right? I mean, I on can the throw media, all of them. Absolutely. No
1: noise On the media, they make it seem like it's a stranger in the bushes that's going to kidnap you and and do that, right? But that's not necessarily true.
0: <laughs> no, I can throw all the statistics at you if you want, um, because you're right. You're right on the money. They say about one in four, I'm sorry, one in three women will experience domestic violence in their life. One in four women will be sexually assaulted in their life. One in five men will be in a domestic abuse situation in their life. And one in six men will be sexually assaulted in their life.
1: Yeah. And I pulled that up. And when I pulled up the data, when I read over the information in my preparation for this, I thought overall, there's going to be a bigger gap between men and women. And that's maybe the ignorance on my side. But to your point, one in three, one in four women experience, well, if I'm talking abuse overall, one in four women experience this, one in five men experience this, then when you break it down, that's when you see that sexual assault is more common, if I can use that word, within women, where physical assault is more with the the men, right? And then obviously of the mental and emotional, that seems to be um, a few percentage from each other. But overall, it's tough out there.
0: <laughs> it's crazy. And the worst part is that we don't talk about it. And as you said, you'd never expect the numbers to be so close with men and women. The problem is men just don't report it as much for, for fear of being retaliated against, discriminated against, um, doubted, you know, questioned. I mean, people would say, I, so I have a book that I wrote called "Breaking Through the Silence Hashtag Men Too. And it's all about males who have experienced sexual assault. And men have, men have come, not come forward because they've experienced people asking them and questioning their sexuality, like constantly. So, you know, you're sexually assaulted by another man, whether it be in jail, which is kind of the stereotype, or in college or in life, and people automatically assume you're gay. And that's not the case 90% of the time. Um, But that stereotype makes people fearful to come forward. It's really a shame because they're survivors. They need help and resources and a voice as well.
1: Yeah, and when it does happen, you have two forms. It seems like the victim blaming, if you can call it that, and and that's what it is. It seems to differ, right? If I'm going to blame, let's say you, for example, Mercev said, you told me terrain. This is what happened to me. Some people will say, okay, what did you wear?
0: Exactly. You know, how
1: how did you approach a person, right? Where now, if I'm the victim of sexual assault, it's okay. Are you, what's your sexual orientation? Or were you experimenting? It seems to be that it's, okay, yes, this has happened. It's bad that it happened. But what is your participation in it, if I can call it that, right?
0: Right. Uh, you're right, you're... 100% right. People who come forward generally get questioned and the questions, the questions do um, relate directly to your biology or to your identified sex. Women will often get asked what they're wearing. If they were drinking, did they lead the person on? And men will a- get asked, you know, um well it's sex you know don't you just want to have sex isn't that what men want you know why are you why are you pretending you didn't want it or are you gay or and and women can be predators as well can be perpetrators as well and so people will say well why didn't you fight back she was a woman you could have taken her that's not always the case, you know, it's not always a situation where you're capable of fighting back, and even if you are, it's still a total violation of your personal space, and your brain shuts off and goes into survival mode, so you don't even have control over your reaction.
1: Yeah, and I think what some people forget is, um, based on the numbers from I read, um, the majority of when it comes to men that are sexually assaulted, it's when they're younger, it's not when it's a full grown, it, that does happen, but we're talking about when it comes to on the male side, we're talking about more often than not, it's it's boys, right? Teenage boys. And it's someone in the household that has some form of authority over them, a parental figure, an uncle, an aunt, things like that. And I think that's where the disconnect for a lot of people is once they're able to say, it's not the stranger a couple of paces behind me. That's not the norm. That does happen, but that's not the majority of the cases. Once people are able to grasp that it's someone in my home, it's someone that I know, it's someone that up until this point I trusted it and will not suspect it, that's when we can say, okay, it can happen to everyone. And how do we protect each other as well as ourselves?
0: Correct. I mean, Only about 10% of cases of sexual assault um, are from strangers. You know, you're running through the forest, somebody jumps out of a bush and rapes you. That very rarely happens about 10% of the time. And 90% of the time, the perpetrator is an acquaintance. And of that 90%, 80% of the time is better than acquaintance. It's friend, romantic partner, family member, somebody that you know very well who has that type of
1: authority over you yeah because um, let's take and it's an older suspect to to your fiance but let's say you and i met we have our safeguards up because we don't know Granted, right, we know each other well enough now but let's say we didn't have this we didn't know each other well enough to lower that wall or lower the safeguards but if you and i have been dating or friends for a number of years if we were to go over to each other's house or it'd be late at night we're not thinking oh a rape is going to happen or some form of abuse is going to happen because we're so comfortable we're so relaxed and that's where we're most vulnerable.
0: Absolutely. I've been in two situations where I was sexually assaulted and both of them were by boyfriends or guys that I was intimate with in a, in a romantic way. And so for me, it was confusing with the second guy because we had had sex before but this particular time, I mean, do you mind if I get into it a little
1: bit? Um, we're going to, but you know what? Let's officially start because the banter is so good. Let's not right <laughs> into it, right? I love that. I, I love it. Too. I want to welcome everyone to another episode of Behind the Shades. I have, you know what? I can't say she's my new best friend because then the people I said that to, they're going to feel a certain way and I try to make it special. So I want to say... This is someone that I'm enjoying the conversation with. You know, we've we've touched on a few things and this is someone that's very informed, very knowledgeable. She loves numbers like me and I love numbers. This is Marissa. So Marissa, introduce yourself and let everyone know who you are and a little bit about yourself.
0: Sure, well, thank you for having me. My name is Marissa F. Cohen. I am a survivor of domestic violence and sexual assault. Um, I have overcome a lot in my life and I've decided that from, from dealing with it myself and seeing how I was very lucky with having a great support network and a great family and people around me that really helped me heal, I decided that it's my mission to help other people heal and overcome their abuse using the same system and steps that I did when I was overcoming mine through my healing journey. So I'm really excited to be here. Thank you so much again for having me. And I hope that I can give people knowledge and strength Um, to overcome what what
1: they've endured as well. Absolutely. Thank you for that. And as you are saying, I know that you are touching on your situation specifically, how you mentioned that it was two people that you were um, having an intimate relationship with that you were dating at the time. So tell us a little bit about how that happened. And ultimately, how did it make you feel as a person that knows these two people very well, but yet something like this still happened to you?
0: Sure. So the first person um, who I experienced sexual assault and domestic violence with, unfortunately, was my first real boyfriend in college. I had no prior sexual experience really in any way. Um, So a lot of firsts for me happened with him. And so when we first started dating, he was very thoughtful and caring and charming. And so I was basically smitten from the beginning. And our feelings just grew and developed and then we got into an exclusive relationship and everything was a downward spiral. So it started with a lot of verbal abuse where he would say things like, oh, that's stupid or you're stupid or your major in college is stupid. And then it grew to psychological abuse where my opinions were stupid and everything I felt was stupid. And I mean, stupid is not the word he used, but it just, it just, everything I did and said and felt and thought was worthless and was irrelevant. And it may just, it just made me feel small, but I loved this man because he was so charming and thoughtful and caring. And he, in my head, he always had my best interest in mind because I loved him. And that's sort of the foundation that he built. And so then it just got worse and worse to physical abuse and then sexual abuse. So um, about three and a half months into our relationship, and I was a virgin. So I wanted to wait to have sex because it was something that was very meaningful to me and he didn't want to wait. And so basically one night he made the executive decision to hold me down and do what he did. And I didn't have a choice. I couldn't fight back. I didn't even want to fight back. He was so much stronger than me, but my brain shut down. I went into survival mode and I react, I respond to trauma with tonic immobility, which is, you know, there's fight, flight, freeze, tonic immobility, fawning. And so tonic immobility basically means you're paralyzed. You can't move. You're you're incapable of, of controlling your body. And so I just laid there and I couldn't breathe. And I don't know how long it took or anything, but all I know is that when I was able to regain control of my body, I just cried. I cried for 45 minutes, I curled up in a ball and I couldn't feel smaller or more violated than I did at that moment. And the abuse continued for several months before I finally got the courage up to leave him. And I think a lot of that was due to me having such An incredible support system. My parents and my friends didn't know what was happening to me. I didn't talk to them about it, but they knew something was wrong just based on how I was acting. And my personality changed. And I went from being a bubbly, outgoing, smiling person to just a shell of a human. I didn't smile anymore. I couldn't roll myself out of bed. I was starting to do really poorly in college, which was very unlike me. And so they stepped up and really filled that hole that was in my stomach um, or that I felt in my stomach. Then, you know, a couple of years later, I transferred to another college and met this guy who was abusive in a very different way. So I was used to the very textbook, you know, if you read a book on what abuse is, my first boyfriend was classic, everything like step by step, hit every box, Um, this other guy however was way more covert so he would do things that were a little coercive but he would mask them with love bombing and gaslighting and manipulation so he was a little more secretive and so there was one night where we were together and i was sleeping and i woke up and he was having sex with me like i there was no way i could have consented i was dead asleep and i woke up and i pushed him and I said, get off me. What are you doing? And his response was, oh God, his response was, wait, I'm almost done. So he didn't respect what I was saying, didn't respect how I was feeling, took advantage of me while I was in unconscious and incapable of consent, and then disregarded my wishes. So that, that was another situation. And then ultimately a couple of weeks later, I tried to break up with him and he, through tantrums and was more gaslighting and more emotional abuse and just like really laying it on thick would would literally not leave my room um, until I just finally gave in and told him that he could stay. And he would torment me and torment my roommates until we let him in the house, until we let him in my room. Um, and then he stalked me for two and a half years. So that was a ton of fun.
1: and <laughs> um thank you for sharing it. I'm happy that you still have this great personality afterwards. And in regards to the first situation, as you mentioned, that's textbook. You hear about it all the time because when someone wants to break you down in that manner, what's one of the first things they do? They try to strip away your confidence and your self-worth.
0: Absolutely. Right? Yeah. They
1: say they build you up, they say these nice things. Mercy, you look very nice. I like the sweater that you're wearing, that necklace around your neck is very for those who can't see, she looks very lovely, very put together. <laughs> Thank and you. then you're welcome. And then when you start to hear these things, because let's be honest, everyone wants to feel like they're important, not only to themselves, to someone else. When you start to reach that level, then you start to become more attracted to me, you become you like me more, then I mean your state of mind and i can say okay let me tear her down so she feels like she needs me right she feels like oh i love him so much because he makes me feel so warm inside even though he's doing all these things that i absolutely dislike and then ultimately he did what he did with you did you find while that was what while it was building up to that point was there codependency issue, meaning that you felt like you were dependent on him for some of the things that he was telling you that made you feel good?
0: So I definitely needed the validation, but because you said, as you said, they strip away your confidence. First, they build you up and they build this foundation of love and compassion and caring. And so you feel like you're on a cloud and you feel like this person is perfect and a fairy tale and then they systematically tear you down, like you said, to destroy your confidence, to maintain control over you, to learn everything about you so that they can manipulate it. And so yes, I felt, I felt, to uh, a point I felt codependent on him, mostly because my confidence was destroyed. I couldn't even look at myself in the mirror. And so needing that validation, that love and connection I really craved it from him and, and I was afraid to get it from anywhere else because he had basically broken me to the point where he told me I was, I was, a, I was a used toy. Nobody was going to love me. I was lucky to have him. So I didn't even think to search outside the relationship for that validation because he was the person who loved me for me in my head. And he was the person who would put up with all of my weird quirks and flaws and these horrible things about me that he made very, very abundantly clear.
1: And that's where the support system comes into place, as you mentioned, because they're there to supplement what you maybe didn't have because this person was, I don't want to say so good, but they're good enough that they had you in that state of mind. And you're thinking, hey, um, maybe I'm not this attractive, right? But maybe I am i am what he's saying I am. Maybe I am not taking the right course in school. Maybe I am not doing this. And then self-doubt in any form, in, every, in any situation can destroy a person. It prevents you from maybe starting a family, prevents you from dating again, it prevents you from getting married, it prevents you from thinking you're good enough to do that job. It prevents you from wanting friends that aren't toxic. It keeps us in such a perpetual state state of despair that sometimes you go back to the person that originally caused it. As you mentioned, he was a source of validation for you at a very low point.
0: Absolutely. So um, the statistic on people going back to relationships that are abusive, um, for all of those reasons, but also the, the genuine love that you have for that person is about it takes about eight times going back before somebody leaves, on average, um, for good. Uh, and, And as you mentioned, there's a lot of reasons that people stay or go back. And one of the main reasons is because you genuinely love them. I mean, think about it. So the first two months of our relationship were amazing. I mean, he took me on romantic dates and would hold my hand when we walked on the beach. And like, (laughs) <laughs> you know? And it was like <laughs> very snappy. It was very, it was exactly what I grew up believing I was supposed to have, right? We watch fairy tales and Disney and all these rom-coms that are like, oh, you know, relationships are work, but when they work out, they're amazing. And truly, relationships aren't supposed to be work. It's supposed to be effortless. Yeah, but and watched- that's
1: a part of the problem, right? Like, we're, we're told that it's supposed to be a certain way, and then when we get that we just hold on to it even though it's not
0: good for us right and we believe that what we have is real and genuine and so I had this foundation of really intense love for him because I knew that he could be that charming kind compassionate thoughtful person that he was we would spend nights you know watching the Yankees because he's from New York and and making pizza from scratch and doing all these fun, romantic, couple-y things. And so when, when I was going through it, all I could think of was, but where's that guy? Like, I want him back. I want to be with that guy. And this guy is stressed. And, you know, I tried to rationalize his behavior. Oh, he's just drinking a lot. Oh, we're in college. Oh, you know, he's stressed out. His dad's making him stress. His classes are making him stress. And so it's all being taken out on me, but that's okay because really deep down, he's this great person and that's not the truth. The truth is, like you said, it's a system. They have this, this routine, this roller coaster routine that they put us through that builds us up, breaks us down and then keeps us there because they want us to, they want them to be the only person that controls us and them to be the only person that has access to us. And the second we branch out, they try and isolate us. And I, I kind of got off topic here, but yes, that's where the, that's where, um, a support network steps in is to, you know, to break down that belief that you aren't worth love or that you, that your flaws are awful and nobody will ever love you. Those worthless feelings those feelings of needing to be better and the self-talk the negative self-talk and self-doubt that's just now rooted in your brain they planted seeds and it's just sprouting all over the place it's really 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 awful
1: yeah you keep the person guessing and you always keep them doubting right as you mentioned the roller coaster where it's like it's good today bad tomorrow good today then you're thinking might be good tomorrow so that's why I will stay but as you mentioned and as I was touched on it that's where the support system comes in because there's some times where where we aren't strong enough individually we need that collective strength and I'm glad that you're able to get it because in the second situation that you mentioned there's a lot of people and I'll let you answer this that will say well there's times I've had sex when I didn't want to Mm -hmm. right? So, you know, and that's, I don't want to say it's old school of thinking because we've probably, and, you know, and I'll let you speak on this as well. There's times where each and every one of us have been intimate when we didn't 100% want to. Now, I don't mean that the person has taken it from us, (laughs) right? I mean that there's sometimes when we come home from, let's say, a long day of work and and our partner is in the mood and we're like, okay, Let's do this, right? If you had a, if you, you're not 100% in it, but let's say about 95, 90, I think everyone has done that where they've kind of gone through with it because one, they're going to enjoy it, but they're enjoying it because their partner is enjoying it. But in your situation, that's different. And I want to, I want to make that distinction. This is someone taking it versus someone saying, okay, I want to be a part of this even though I might be a little tired, maybe a part of me is not in the mood, but overall, this is something that I'm consenting to.
0: Right, so the key word here is consent, right? So if you're in an intimate relationship with somebody and you really don't wanna have sex and they're kind of nagging, that's not okay. But if you're in a relationship and they really wanna have sex and you're like, okay, I'll do it, it's different because there's consent, there's verbal consent. something I, I kind of want to highlight because it came up for a little while, a couple of years ago, and then disappeared. Have you ever heard of stealthing?
1: I have not. What is that?
0: So stealthing is when you consent to have sex with somebody using a condom, and then in the middle or towards the end of the of the sex or the interaction, they remove the condom without verbalizing it or telling you. And so when you do that, and then it's, it's a means of control. And so when you do that, or when somebody does that to you, that is sexual assault. Because once they remove the condom, which is what you consented to, then they are, then consent is removed. And so that's something I feel like isn't talked about enough. But to get back to, to your point, um, the, biggest, the biggest misconception about sex is consent needs to be there. Like if there's no consent, there's no sex. That is sexual assault. Um, whether it's with a partner or stranger, a friend's a benefit, a friend, whoever, you know, it needs to be consenting on both parties and from the beginning. Um, once nagging or, or coercion or manipulation is involved, even if, even if there is a yes, it's still a no because initially there was no consent and manipulation and coercion does not consent make.
1: So what if... And that's a good point, and I'm glad you mentioned that. The stealth thing, I find it kind of weird, but I guess <laughs> it does happen. Um, not that I, I don't want to say I'm visualizing that because I'm not trying to imagine two other people having sex, but I'm just <laughs> trying to. I'm trying to think how does someone pull that off? Because I'm thinking about my sexual experiences. You literally have to pause, right? You have to say. Hold on a minute. Can you just give me a minute? But wouldn't the person? Throw it down.
0: Right back into it.
1: (laughs) But at at, but at that point, wouldn't someone say, "What are you doing back there?" Like because, (laughs) right?
0: You might be overthinking it.
1: I I, and I think that's what it is. I think I'm actually overthinking, but now I'm trying to. Was you'd have to be like a pro to get it off within a couple of seconds. But the longer. (laughs) <laughs> and this is me probably even overthinking even more it's like you're you're doing you're doing the act however position you're doing it once you stop if sufficient because you've been on let's put the example out there if you've been on hold for 10 seconds seconds it feels like 10 years mm-hmm. right yeah, so that's-, that's true right so if the person stops and by the time they take off eventually you're gonna be like okay what's taking so long for you to resume Right. But you know what? I guess you're right. I guess it's a thing because now we have the, and this is the beauty about progression and, and where the world is going. You have so many, you have so many other forms of abuse, especially sexual abuse, other than intercourse. And you highlighted one where the person agreed to a certain form of sex or with a certain person and Now you've kind of changed the terms, I guess, is the best way to describe it, right? I agree to have sex with a condom. I agree to have sex with this type of person. I agree to have sex this way. Now when you switch it, now when you've changed those terms, consent needs to be given again because it's one thing to say, I consented to have sex with you with a condom. It's another thing to say, I've consented to have sex with you unprotected because there's a level of trust, conversation, so on and so forth. But it is interesting that there's some people out there who maybe don't have the support system to go through it because of the numbers are so close. What would your advice be to those who are, as in your situation, as a boyfriend, if it's someone in the household, I would say that's probably a little bit more difficult to navigate because you're in the house, you're seeing this person, you don't have the benefit of separation. What would you tell that person?
0: If somebody is disrespecting your boundaries ever in any way, it's not a healthy relationship. If if a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a partner is trying to force you to do things that you're not comfortable with or removes you know, consent in the middle of an act that is a blatant disrespect for you and your boundaries and it's not healthy so easier said than done but my advice would be to seek out help whether it be in the form of staying with a friend or a family member in a different house staying with you know a I don't in a shelter in anywhere I mean again way easier said than done but but you want to try and look at look at this logically, this is not a logical issue. This is an emotional issue, but if we can look at it logically, what they're doing is not right. And, and so my advice would be talk to someone and see how you can get safe. Um, talk to a friend, talk to somebody who is close to you, who you trust, let them guide you, let them help you find a way out, let them help you get safe.
1: Was that something that you had to learn? Um, And the reason I ask that is you're going from a little, well, I'll put it like this. You're going, the first time this happened to you, on an intimate level, you were inexperienced. Would that be accurate to say? Absolutely. And then you got the experience, but you got it in this situation, which isn't the best. And then, later on, you're in another relationship with a, with a boyfriend who you're intimate with as well. And then this happens a second time. Was it something that you had to learn to think logically so you can be stronger and therefore ensure, or at least put up enough safeguards that it wouldn't happen again? Or was it, or did you always have that capacity, um, that capacity? to say, okay, this has happened, I know what to do. Let me go ahead and do it.
0: So for me, for the first relationship, actually for both relationships, we weren't living together. So I never needed to escape per se, um, because I could, I could remove myself to a point. Um, as far as thinking logically, no. I had no idea, especially with the first relationship that what had happened was sexual assault or was rape? I didn't realize that you could be raped by a boyfriend at that point. And nobody that I knew had ever spoken about it. So I couldn't turn to anybody because I didn't know who to talk to. I didn't even realize that it was wrong. I just know that my first sexual ex- or I just knew that my first sexual experience left me feeling like there was a big empty hole in my stomach. And now having had no prior experience that I thought was normal. And I didn't want to say that to my friends because if it's normal and I ask about it, they're going to think I'm weird or stupid or whatever. And I already thought pretty low of myself. So I didn't really feel inclined to speak up about it. Um, I just lived with that feeling and ended up kind of going down the wrong path when it comes to valuing my body as more than just an object. And so trying to find ways to fill that hole in my stomach wasn't healthy because I, I didn't know what I was doing was wrong. I didn't know what he did to me was wrong. And so I became educated enough after I transferred to that next school to know that what happened there was not okay. But I didn't realize that being asleep and waking up to some guy having sex with you or your boyfriend having sex with you, I didn't know that that was sexual assault because no one ever talked about it. And no one ever taught me that, you know, you need to be conscious to have consent. And as silly as that seems, this is not a conversation that they teach you in school. I never learned this in health class. I didn't know that consent was even a variable in sex. I mean, the other guy, you know, after, after the rape was a string of other horrendous sexual experiences. And so all of these things led me to not understanding what true love, lovemaking and sex like was supposed to be. So, so, I mean, thinking logically wasn't even an option. I was only thinking emotionally because I didn't have the education to back it up. So what I want to do is try and make sure everybody knows there are logical steps to take in order to heal from this, in order to get yourself safe and to keep yourself safe. After I learned what was wrong, I knew what to look for as far as red flags. and I knew what to look for as far as logical steps, but I didn't have the wherewithal, the knowledge, the education about the logistics behind abuse and the logistics behind getting safe.
1: That's a good point and a good segue because what are some of the red flags that you identified based on your experience and obviously the knowledge you've, you've obtained since those encounters.
0: Oh my gosh, so many. So there are so many red flags. And the worst part is abusers all wear different hats, right? So no two abusers act exactly the same. No two abusers or narcissists you know, do the same exact thing. They each have their own system, which is awful. And I wish they would all just follow one strict path. So I could be like, okay, once they do this, you know, um,
1: <laughs> and then just ship them off to one Island.
0: <laughs> right? Ship them. Oh, we don't, we could just like game of Thrones them and throw them in a dungeon somewhere for all I care. <laughs> but, um, so some, some red flags are gaslighting. Um, I feel like gaslighting is like hiding in plain sight, right? It's, it's, trying to convince the, the victim or the survivor that they're crazy, that what they're feeling isn't valid. It's saying things like, you know, like you're crazy or what are you talking about that never happened? Or gosh, I'm trying to think of great examples that happen all the time, there are so many. Um, but gaslighting is basically using what you're saying to make you feel crazy and make what you're feeling sound crazy so that it's a means of control over you so you won't go to anyone else and talk about it. Um, manipulation techniques, having, oh gosh, oh my gosh, there's just so many. Um, isolating you from friends and family is a very, very common first step. Once, once a person who, you're in a relationship talks about how much they hate your family all the time or how much they don't, they don't trust you around your friends or they don't trust your friends around you because everybody wants to have sex with you and everybody's going to try and take you away from them. And it's all a means of control. So there are like trigger sayings that to be aware of. Um, Red flags are also love bombing. Uh, Love bombing is when somebody will show up wherever you are and give you gifts and candy and love and just overdo it. You know, they do it, They do so much to make you know that that you are theirs and that they love you and they need you in their life. You know, you need to give them all of your free time. That's love bombing. And it seems romantic, right? It it seems like, oh my gosh, this person really likes me. It's flattering, but it's really a means of control. They're controlling all of your time. They know your schedule. They they find you where you are. Um, And it's, It's really, really unhealthy. You know, a a healthy relationship gives you time to spend with your friends and is understanding and is, you know, healthy. It doesn't feel like you have to be around them all the time or, you know, they'll get jealous. Uh, That's another big red flag is jealousy. Jealousy is such a toxic trait. It's so toxic, but we have glorified it and romanticized it in movies. Gosh, I I can't think of any examples right now, but... But movies where the protagonist and their, you know, romantic partner is so jealous of them because they love them and they need to have them around is so toxic. Don't do it. <laughs> like, don't fall for it. <laughs> it's awful.
1: And yeah, and on that note about jealousy, it reminds me of um, and I, I love the energy by the way, Marissa. It um it reminds me of an interview where I forgot the the name of the host, but it reminds me of an interview with a girl. She was with her boyfriend, and I guess a guy approached her, not knowing that the, she had a boyfriend, because I guess he was away from her during that interaction. And then he comes up, and then the guys like, "Oh, you're hitting on my girlfriend." You know how men go back and forth, the end up fight, the end up fighting, right? Mm-hmm. And the girl who's who was in a in the relationship with the guy, the, the that guy, let's call him Adam. Adam ends up losing the fight, and the girl's telling this story, and she ends up breaking up with him because of the way he lost the, the fight. So, it goes back to your point how we've kind of made it look sexy in a way, right? Oh, he's willing to fight for my honor. This is not kings and queens and the serfs, right? Where we're gonna, <laughs> we're fighting for a castle, you know, this is not, um. Game of Thrones. <laughs> get, well, Game of Thrones, right? And you know what? I, I have, I'm i going to... Here's here's an honest moment for me. I've only seen like two episodes of Game of Thrones, right? I know she, her mouth is hitting the ground, everyone, as I say that. But what I will say is I'm big on mythology. So this is like um, Achilles and Hector, right? Fighting over... You know, this is like Troy. This is where you, you get the girl and you, you take the girl and you have all this chaos as a result, because throughout history and throughout time, many of our conflicts have been over something like that. And you raise a good point where I think as much as people in relationships will say, when they fill out the surveys, when they tell their partners, I don't like jealousy, deep down, it seems to be something that continues to thrive in relationships because so many of us may say that we don't want it but when we see it with other people we're kind of like oh
0: <laughs> it's almost flattering in a way but but it's so it's such a toxic trait i mean there's no situation that i can think of in my head where a person will approach me and go to hit on me, where my where my fiance would be like, oh, get away from my growth and like go and fight. Because there's no reason for it. He could step in and say, hey man, that's my fiance. And if that guy doesn't back away, then I, as a human being who have full control over myself, will excuse myself and say, uh, oh, peace, and walk away. Because I don't, I don't need, I'm not an object to be one. I'm not some damsel in distress. People, people, humans, we are all not objects. We are human and we are capable of saying, ah, I don't want to be with you, you know? And if if your partner is fighting and trying to isolate you from people, even people that you don't know who might just be approaching because they think you're attractive or want to talk to you or like your shirt, that shouldn't be a trigger for your partner to jump in. And say, you know, and and fight for your honor, you don't, you're not a prize to be won, you're not an object, you know, and I think that's what it, what it really ultimately boils down to is the glorification of like, oh, I'm, I'm a prize, but we're not, we're not a prize to be won, you're a person and, and you don't want to feel like an object or, or, you know, something that needs to be defended right? Unless there's a situation where somebody is aggressive towards you and you need someone to step in, that's different. We're not talking about that, you know, then you should be defended or defending yourself. But when it comes to just like brute jealousy for absolutely no reason, and there's no prompting or probing, then no, jealousy is not okay. But defending you is not a jealous act when you're in danger. Does that make sense?
1: Absolutely. And I was going to touch on that as well. It's, there's a difference between um, the threat of violence and defending accordingly, right? Or the discomfort of some versus the threat of someone's ego. Meaning that, um, but you hear hear about it, that some people come home from work and they say, my work husband, my work spouse, oh, um, I came back, oh, honey, I'm two girls, you know, they asked me out or two guys asked me out for coffee. In a way, to your point, you're gaslighting them. Because what's the, because why, I guess the question for me when I hear those things is why are you telling the person that? Because ultimately, what's the response that you want? Do you want the person to say, oh, that's great. Did you go out with them? No, you don't want that response because who's going to respond that way? Or two, you're saying it because does it did it make you feel good?
0: Good. Right. You want a reaction.
1: Right. You want a reaction. And when I was thinking about the red flags that you mentioned, sometimes those red flags, the isolation, the love bombing, the affection, things like that, um, the isolation, as you mentioned, keeping away from your friends and your friends aren't good enough. How many of us, when in relationships, we kind of adapt ourselves or compromise ourselves to that person? And I'll give you an example. Um, you may like, you may have your certain, you may have your hobbies, the other person may have your hobbies, but you compromise or give them up to kind of adjust yourself to that person's life. So you're isolating yourself from your hobbies. You're, you're not around your friends because your friends were doing the things that you like, but now you want to spend more time with this person. This person is saying, well, you know what, don't hang out with your friends. We can go here because I love you. It's going to make you feel good. All these smiles. So what we sometimes take as compliments or goodwill gestures, they could be the starting point or the early signs of abuse.
0: Right, and I think the big the big takeaway should be to educate ourselves because the education system is not serving us in this way. Um, to educate ourselves on red flags and things to look out for. Had I known, you know, the things that I know now, when I was nineteen. I probably wouldn't be doing this right now. You know, I would be, I would have probably cut him off before it ever got as far as it did. And, you know, wouldn't be, wouldn't be here today. So, you know, on one hand, I'm, I'm grateful that it did because it gave me this mission, you know, to help other people who are going through with it heal. But on the other hand, I wish that this wasn't necessary. You know, I wish that the education system gave us the tools to make smart decisions in dating relationships and really in human relationships and taught us how to avoid like what to look for and how to avoid these situations
1: it's given us almost everything but how to interact with our fellow men and women right Mm
0: -hmm. that and how to balance a checkbook
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) i wish finances were in elementary oh my goodness that would have been so beneficial so
0: beneficial right we wouldn't be swimming in student loan debt and <laughs> we learned that <laughs> when we were seven
1: <laughs> i know that seems to be the biggest burden in in a first world country student debt my goodness
0: yeah the student i um there's a show on netflix that was actually <laughs> canceled called the patriot act and he did an entire episode on um student loans and student loan debt i mean it's astronomical it's insane
1: So now that you're happily in a relationship and you're doing so much better now and you're on this cloud nine, how do you maintain, how do you maintain that? And how do you maintain your courage going forward from now up until five years, 10 years? Like how has that process been for you? Because your process that you're going through right now to be who you are right now, definitely it can help those um, who are going through it in the early stages.
0: Absolutely. So my first interaction, the first boyfriend I told you about was 11 years ago, um, actually over 11 years ago, we actually broke up two days ago, 11 years ago. <laughs> and um, so from from there, I had this incredible journey to healing. And I didn't even realize I was doing it as I was doing it. But I identified there was three major things that I, that I had to do in order to heal, uh, release, I had to release the trauma, talk about it, you know, get it off my chest because it weighed so heavily on my shoulders. I had to build resilience, which is confidence and self-love and get rid of that self-doubt. And then I had to rebuild my life, my circle, the things that I, you know, did and, and said in and the places I went to keep myself safe. But especially, you know, my, my group of friends needed to be super supportive and very healthy. So I needed to make sure that I was in that headspace. Um, so I'm so sorry. I like lost my train of thought. What was the original question? <laughs>
1: <laughs> it was, how's the process for you now coming from where you were to mm-hmm. today and how are you going to continue that going forward into the future?
0: Okay. So I, I did my healing work and I, I think at this point, having had the support system, I did the education that I do now and having worked with so many people, I've worked with about 2000 survivors at this point with my philosophy to healing with those three steps. And I think that it's been super beneficial to me as a human to help me grow and understand. Um, but I think that it also really helps our community. I mean, if, if we really put it into perspective, Terrain, do you know four people? Do you know, do you know four women in your life? Do you know four people?
1: Yes, yes, I do.
0: One of those people at least has been sexually assaulted. And so everybody is impacted by this. And I don't know who it is in your life or anybody else's life, but every single human being is impacted by domestic violence, sexual assault, narcissism, emotional abuse, because we all know somebody who's endured it. And that determines how they interact with humans and how they interact with other people and the walls that they build or the not walls that they build or the promiscuity like their actions and reactions are a direct response to their experiences and so everybody is impacted. So what I aim to do having had these experiences is help the community of survivors learn to heal in a healthy and effective way, not making the same mistakes I did and other people did and doing you know, the awful things like self-harm and suicide. I mean, there's huge numbers of survivors who commit suicide um, and to educate the community on how to be better advocates, how to be better support systems because that's not something that we learn.
1: How does that make you feel that you're being the support system for these, for this community of people, similar to how your support system was helping you? How does that make you feel?
0: Truly, I feel empowered by it every single day. Um, You know, there's, there's no monetary value that's as strong as feeling like you're doing something rewarding in the world. And I'm not trying to toot my own horn or like fluff my ego, but I, I just want to see a change. I think it's ridiculous that in 2021 we're still asking women what they were wearing and asking men why they didn't fight back. Are you kidding me? You know, we have the education, we have the knowledge, we have the statistics to show that only 5% of cases are actually reported. We have all of this knowledge, but it doesn't, it doesn't go into the community because people don't want to hear it. So I feel empowered to keep pushing this message and keep encouraging survivors to speak out and break their silence because that's how we change. That's how we learn. So, I mean, it makes me feel good, but it makes me feel better that the world is starting to change and that I get to see those changes.
1: That's something that's very necessary.